part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here this morning. And uh, we're going to talk uh, this morning. And first, I want to just make reference to that, that last song that we just did. Guys, um, one of my pet peeves, and uh, forgive me if this you know, hurts any feelings or anything, uh, a lot of contemporary music that we have today uh, really kind of gets a, a wrong picture of Christ sometimes. This very you know, lonesome Christ who just begs maybe to get into your heart and come into your life. He is holy, holy God, okay? What is man that we are even that he's even mindful of us? And so as much as we see this compassionate God, this God of grace in Jesus Christ, what makes the grace so amazing is that he would even give us grace because he is holy, holy, holy. And so I love songs like that that are birthed right out of Scripture, but also talk about this majesty of God, this majesty of, of Christ, and uh, doesn't apologize and make him this kind of a, a wimpy Christ looking for somebody to, to come and be a friend to him. But with that in mind this morning, uh, open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to talk about the second part of our vision for 2016. Last week we started in, uh, with a, kind of a focal verse, Galatians 2.20, and with this mindset of what does it truly mean to be Christ-centered? And, and we said that that's a word that's thrown around a lot. If you go to church, if you're in Christian circles, you hear this term, Christ-centered. You go to the bookstore, you're going to find half the books somehow have some kind of a, uh, an alluding to this Christ-centeredness. But we said last week that as we really begin to look into it, the Apostle Paul did not water down this meaning of Christ-centeredness. That it wasn't just, okay, come be buddies with Christ. But in Galatians 2.20 that Paul makes this confession of his life and he says, you know, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but now Christ lives in me. When we begin to see the magnitude of this, this isn't us just kind of coming and budding up beside Jesus Christ. It is a death to the old way of life. It's a death to the old self. And it's an invitation to this new life with Christ as the very center. Now, folks, biblically, there is no other Christian life than Christ-centered life. And yet, we're the ones, as Christians, as we kind of travel this side, that uh, make it a lot of different things. We make it a religion. We make it kind of trying to be a little bit better than we were before and try to a more moralistic, maybe just a kind of even an, uh, you know, a God and country type thing. We try to make it all these different things. But when we look biblically, we get one resounding thing, that the only life that we have as Christians is this life in Christ, in his finished work. And so that's why Paul said, without apology, he said, you know, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I have no rights to, to, to go before God. I have nothing that I can take to him. I have nothing that I can sit there and say, well, will you please do this? I deserve this. No, every part of his life as a Christian now is because of Christ. Pretty deep stuff. Well, I think we're going to see the same thing when we use the second part of our, of our focus uh, for 2016 and when we talk about being family-focused. I, I doubt that there's a church out there that I know of, at least, that would claim to be Christian that would not say, well, well we're family-focused. And, and many of them desperately and, uh, uh, want to be that and are doing everything that they can to be family-focused. But it's another one of those terms that, if we're not careful, can, can really take more of a cultural mindset of being family-focused rather than a scriptural focus. 
Folks, one thing that, you know, when we stand and we sing, when we, we open up God's Word, the one thing that I hope that we are always doing is that we're deriving truth from the Scripture and not from our culture. That we're getting the eternal world of God, Word of God and it's influencing us rather than the culture coming in trying to influence there. And, and so when we begin to talk about family focus this morning, especially if you are here as young families, young parents, and you're going, okay, how do I raise my kids in all this stuff that's going on? I pray, truly pray this morning that you would uh, have ears to hear and, and eyes to see the truth because it's not easy stuff. Being family focused is not just adding a, a date night uh, on the calendar. I'm all for date nights. I'm, I'm all for when Carly takes me out. I am all for date nights and her just, uh, you know, taking me out on the town and treating me well. I, there's nothing wrong with date nights. Don't get me wrong. I think that really is part of how we live out this family focus. But folks, being family focused, biblically speaking, and I'm going to keep on saying scripturally speaking, it's not just adding events to a calendar. It's not just, okay, well, you know, we're going to get around and we're going to read the Bible or we're going to pray before we go to bed. All those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if we look to see what the scripture says, about being family focused. If we truly get our leadership, not from a culture who's trying to be Christ uh, in, in some capacity of events or in doings, but we truly get it out of the Bible, we begin to see that it's much more about truly coming back to the heart that God designed back in Genesis. We're going to see some of that next week when we go to our marriage series. That, that it wasn't the culture that came up with this whole idea of marriage. I mean, Adam and Eve did not sit around and say, you know, we need to get hitched because people are talking. There was nobody else to talk. There's them and there's God. And so they're not, you know, it wasn't this norm of culture that said, okay, if we're going to see each other like we are right now, naked, you know, it's pretty much we need to get married. We need to get hitched. No, from the very heart of God. And we'll get into that next week. But the same truth is there when we start talking about being family focused. It's an easy term, Christians, to throw around. It's an easy term to add some Christian or Christ-like events to our calendars and say, okay, we're really trying to be Christian and family-focused. But when we look scripturally, there's a depth there, there's a call there that is pretty intimidating. And I would even go as far as to say impossible without the very Spirit of Christ. So, so this vision for 2016 is not, okay, be Christ-centered and family-focused. Folks, these are weaved together. You cannot be family-focused, I, I believe, if you're not Christ-centered. And you certainly can't even be Christian if, if you're if not Christ-centered, if that's not really theologically true of what God has done, but as we begin to go out and live that out in our lives. And so we open up our Bibles this morning, and, and there's two words that I want to kind of... Um, kind of leave with you this morning that as we would go back, I, you know, I always ask myself, how would we know if we truly were successful in the preaching of God's word this morning? And sometimes it's that you would be able to have knowledge, biblically speaking, of, of some concepts there. And the two words I'm going to leave with you this morning are inspirational and generational. Because family focus, scripturally speaking, biblically speaking, is a call for us to be inspirational and that family focus, and also generational, and that family focus. And, and, and that's not just two words that I made up, and hey, they rhyme, so that's going to preach well. No, it comes straight out of the scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6. It comes straight from the heart of God. And so we begin to see that this uh, you know, family focus is much more than just events. So open up your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and um, 
to, to give you a little bit of the, the background and the setting there, this is where uh, Moses uh, is about to lead into the promised land. And uh, uh, he's been given instructions. They, they've been given this idea that they're going to be traveling and that God has this place for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, it's described. Uh, um, a land far beyond anything that you could even imagine or that they could imagine. Now, there's something very special to remember here is that for the most part, up to this point, the Israelites, these ones that God called out by Abraham and, and the descendants of Abraham, have been a nomadic people. They've been wanderers. They, they never had a place that they settled and called home. I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I, I was pretty much a wanderer for about four or five years. I, I went to like five different schools in five different years. And so, you know, you are always the new guy. Have you ever been the new guy year after year after year? You know, there's something about finally getting settled and starting building relationships so that you're not the new guy. Well, understand that when this is written, that for the most part, the Israelites, these people that God has called out, have been nomadic people. Remember what, Abraham, what God told Abraham to do? Go, take up everything you have, get all your tents, all your people, all your belongings, and just I'll, I'll show you a place. But even when he showed them a place, it wasn't a place of permanence. Well, now God is going to give them a place of permanence. There's a lot of spiritual illustration there. And in life, many of us are wanderers, spiritually speaking. But we wander from this place to that place. It's kind of like, have you ever been a diet wanderer? You know, you say, well, this, this, this is the current diet, and so I'm going to do this diet. Oh, this is the current diet. And you do no carbs, you do more carbs, you do this, you do all kinds of stuff. And you wander, wondering what's going to be effective. Well, spiritually speaking, that's how the people of God were. They're, they're wandering, and God says, I'm going to give you a place of permanence. And that permanence comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ. But physically speaking, it was going to come in a lamb that he was going to give them. And, and so as we open up Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see that God has given commandments. You know, he did that back in Exodus, but he also gives a repeat here in, in this chapter. We begin to see there. And he's giving instruction, if we look down to verse 5, that this teaching and instruction is not just pass, the passing on of information. Biblical parenting is, biblically speaking, scripturally speaking, much more inspirational than it is informational. And yet, let's be honest, how many of you have fallen into the trap that sometimes if our kids can recite back enough things, if they have enough knowledge of the Bible, they can kind of make their way through Mark, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they have that information that, hey, you know, my kid's doing pretty good. I can remember when we would learn the books of the Bible. And, and I, you know, I could not tell you the books of the Bible right now. You know, I, I could not recite that. You get a, an eight-year-old up here, they can do that sometimes. But that sense of accomplishment, man, yeah, they just nailed the whole New Testament. They started in Matthew and they went all the way to Revelation. And all the adults are there going, man, I couldn't do that. I mean, could you do that? And so sometimes we get this satisfaction. There's nothing wrong with information, guys. But sometimes, sometimes we can settle for informational children rather than inspirational children. And that our job is done because they've, they've acquired more and And it's easier now than ever because there's not really this push. We don't live in a Christian society. And I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm not making a comment on America. I'm not making a comment on... I'm just making a comment. We don't really live in a Christian society. 
You've taken a lot of even the biblical instruction that used to be part of public schools. You've taken that out. So, you know, there's, it's not like we just have this information coming in. And so that's why the temptation to become more of this informational parent is so tempting. Our kids can quote things that other kids can't. But it was never designed to be that way. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's get into the word this morning. Verse 5 and 6. And as I read this, I, w- I want you to say, okay, was the heartbeat of this you know, call to parenting, was it to give more information or more inspiration? You speak that, you answer that yourself from the scripture, okay? Does this sound more like facts and figures? Or is it a heartbeat and a mindset? Deuteronomy chapter uh, six, start five, uh, verses 5 and 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, is that more informational or inspirational? Yeah. He didn't say, no, you, you try to get them to memorize as many facts, and once they get up to about a thousand facts, you can take a rest. Get them to put in their head as much information about God as they can, and you can sit back and kind of coast in your parenting. No, he said, man, I I want you to do this with a passion. He mentions words there, love, heart, soul, might, heart. Do you see the passion in these verses? This isn't the passing on of information. This isn't the passing on uh, of a changed life. Folks, this was not a call to intellectualism, but, but to passion. And it is very easy to raise children in church with all sorts of information about God and never inspire them to have a passion for God. And somehow, because we live in a culture where a lot of people don't even go to church anymore, we're going, hey, at least the kids are in church. And I'm just glad that my kids are in church. I mean, do you see there? This isn't making a negative comment about the culture as much as it is the positive calling that God has placed on the life of us who are redeemed, us who would call ourselves Christians, Christ followers. And so we begin to see here that even in the Old Testament, this wasn't just a passing on of pure intellectual information, but a passion for God. And one of the keys of passing on passion is to have a passion yourself. I think I may have asked this uh, in the early weeks that I was here. Hey, how many of y'all grew up with a passion about a certain sports team? Yeah. And, and so you had this passion. Uh, was it Alabama? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so you, you grew up. And, and when did that passion begin? Yeah. So it's not like this was a innate thing. I mean, I would hope that it would not be innate in anybody's life, you know, to, to have to be an Alabama fan. Uh, you know, but, you know, because you were in this surrounding, because you had people that were not just, okay, they're playing today. There's a game on today at 1 o'clock. No, they were passionate, lived and breathed it. And that passion for that sport and for that particular team, it, it may be other things, and that's not to be sports-related, but isn't it amazing how some of the passions that we have in our lives today are from the passions of our surroundings. It could have been a brother, a sister. It could be a mother, a father. It could be all this. But there's this parental influence that we have. Ricky, when I was reading the article about you yesterday and, and just knowing this passion that your granddad had and, and just, you know, just hearing you talk about sometimes, yeah, using your granddad's tools and, and different things like that, there's a passion there. 
And perhaps is that why you have this great passion now of working with wood and doing all those things? See, it's amazing when people see passion in their lives. Passion is contagious. And so this first call here is this first connection that we want to have is to have this connection through the passions of our heart and that we're passionate about who Christ is in our life. That's what God is calling us to. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You see, Moses goes on to tell the story, uh, to tell these parents to surround their children's lives with the things of God. Look what it says in verse 7 through 9. You shall teach them diligently. Well, what? Well, these commands, these instructions, this, this way of God. You shall instruct them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and as, they, as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, you know, if you go over to their house, you're going to find a lot of Alabama stuff. Yeah. I mean, clothes, banners, and all kinds of stuff. You go to somebody else's house, you're going to find a lot of this that reflects a passion in their life. And basically what Moses is saying there, you know, when you have a passion, it is just, it's felt not just during game day from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock, it's felt kind of in the other parts of your lives. And if you notice here, he kind of surrounds the activities of life. And he says, okay, put before your children at breakfast, during the day, when they're playing, when they're studying, when they're doing all these things, the things of God. Be passionate about it. And it doesn't seem like the end result is just for the purpose of intellectualism or information, but for inspiration. So that the kids become very passionate as they begin to to see these things in their own life. See that word diligently there in in verse 7? Anybody have the NIV version? Okay, what what word? Impress. Uh, Same Greek word. You know, different translations are going to give you different things. But diligently or impress. Both of those are are the words from this Hebrew word that means leave a mark. Now, I grew up in a home where my dad believed in leaving a mark. It wasn't always spiritually, (laughs) but it was, you know, the correct way of doing things and and spankings and stuff like that. But you know that there's a a, a part of this word right here, this diligent to, to, to impress, it means literally to pierce, to leave a mark. Have you ever sat down on, on something before and it had a design on it? Especially during the summertime when you have shorts on and you step up, you know, you, you stand up afterwards and what do you have? You have that impression. If it was lines, you know, in that couch or whatever and you stand up and all of a sudden there's that impression. Why? Because you've been there for a while. It wasn't just a, a moment. You just didn't sit down and all of a sudden you stand up and there's this impression. But when you've been there 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes and you stand up, you look at your leg. And there's those stripes. There's that pattern. Why? Because it made an impression upon you. There was enough time for that to impress and to leave a mark. That's the word that, that is used here. And that's why he begins to describe things that, that happen early in the morning, uh, during the daily activity, but also even at night. So it's, it's, you know, when you're going to bed, when you're sitting around, when you're walking by the way, that, that would be driving some of the best conversations that I ever had with my girls is... Uh, 
when, when I used to take them to school. And at first, I, I, be honest, it was when I was ready to start my day, and I saw it as a nuisance. It's like, man, I've got to go by. Because if you, you know, at North Gwinnett High School, it was a long sitting here. You just didn't drop them off. It was a 30-minute process. You know, you get in line, and you wait forever. And it was a nuisance until I began to discover that that's some of the best talks that we ever had. I mean, true confession. There's many, been many times when the girls were growing up, probably said, okay, I'll be up about five, ten minutes, and come up and come on to bed. Well, 30 minutes later, I'm starting to get, where's she at? It's husband time. And she would come up sometimes an hour later. I said, man, what, what have you been doing? She goes, they were in the mood to talk. And for our girls, that nighttime was the time that, I mean, everything came out. Even things you didn't want to come out. You know, you had more information than you wanted. That's what he's talking about here. Folks, this, this isn't strategizing and calorying. Okay, from two to three, we're going to do some spiritual things. Now that we live this life of passion, this passion that's within us is contagious to our kids. So whether we're sitting or walking, whether we're going to bed, we're getting ready for the day, whether they're coming or going, it says on the gate, on the post, it was there. Why? So that when we're coming in, we say, okay, yes, this is who we are. This is who we love. So we're going out and we're about to go into a world. Oh, this is who we are and this is who we love. That's a pretty big calling. Because one of the first questions that, that I would have in my life is, well, that's pretty intimidating because what if, what if I'm not so passionate? In a pastor's home, guys, true confession, it is really easy to become informational parents rather than inspirational parents. I mean, your kids are at church every time the doors are open. It's one of those things that they're, they're you know, just because of osmosis, just because they're in that setting, they, they kind of have a couple steps ahead of maybe some other kids just because they're around it more, and so they get this information. And, and you can sit back in this satisfaction. And go, yeah, they know all the stuff. But have I inspired them to a passionate walk with Jesus Christ? So, so what we see here is this call for passion. Because when you're passionate about something, it becomes part of your life. It's not just an activity. It's not just a game on game day. It truly is. This is something you, you kind of breathe. But as much as God meant for our role to be inspirational, there's a second part. What's the second word that I asked you about this morning? Generational. Okay. He wants us to be these passionate people so that our kids are growing up with a similar fashion of passion for us. Now, again, let me be the first to tell you, it is only God who saves. It is only God who calls. We cannot force our kids. I know some of the best Christian parents that I've ever met, and they've had rebellious children. There's no guarantee that just because you do all the things right, that somehow it's always going to work out in those moments of time. But we're called to be these passionate people, but we're also not just inspirational, but generational. God uses this walk to influence not just for the day, but the days to come. And that's why sometimes even those passions that we talked about are generational. They may even skip a generation. But, you know, from, there's some things that I got from my granddaddy. 
I love a bargain. I've wasted more money on bargains as my granddaddy did. Because I'm going, I don't know that we can use it, but it was only this much. And my dad was not like that, but my granddaddy was. And I glory in my big granddaddy's, you know, following that, that passion of his, of getting that good deal. But as we begin to see this, there, there's a generational uh, call, and we begin to see it in what Moses begins to tell the people. Andy, will you read? This is going to be from Deuteronomy. We're still in chapter 6. Look at verse 10 through 12. Uh, Andy, will you read that real loud, please? So, so Moses is saying this as a future event that's going to happen. They're still kind of wandering. They're, still, they're not in the promised land yet. Um, and so he makes this promise that God is going to provide for them and that this provision is not only going to be this land, but he's going to protect them along the way. And, and so he's saying that you're going to have a land that you didn't even farm. You're going to get crops that you didn't even plant. You're going to have houses that you didn't even build. So these people, remember, they're wanderers. They've never had a place to call home. They've never, you know, they've always been the new kid. And they've never had this place that they can just say, man, this is our home, this is our country, this is where we belong. And so now this promise is that they're going to have that. And it wasn't of their own making. This isn't something that they're just going to roll up their sleeves and work hard to achieve. It says, God says, I'm going to provide this for you. You just follow me. And he begins to do exactly that. You know that verse in the Bible, uh, Joshua twenty four fifteen. It's right at the end of Joshua's life. And he makes this bold declaration. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, at that time, Joshua's uh, maybe as much as 110. He dies at 110. We don't know if this was days before, weeks before, you know, or, or whatever. But we know it's at the very end of his life. And Joshua makes that declaration it's after something amazing has happened. By this time, Moses is not there. Moses has died. They buried Moses. Joshua is now the new leader. God has to keep on encouraging him because he's kind of shaky. And God keeps on telling him in Joshua chapter 1, you know, be strong and courageous. He says that, in fact, three times. That kind of shows you that Joshua is not so strong and courageous if God has to keep on repeating that to him. But by the time we get to the end of Joshua, chapter 24, and he's been the leader all these years, he looks back and he makes this bold declaration. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And one of the things that he does there, before he he makes that bold statement in verse 15, is he reflects to the faithfulness of God in the two previous verses. Eric, will you read that? This is Joshua chapter 24, verses 13 and 14. The, the verses immediately preceding this bold declaration, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
Now, now I want you to piece those two things together. One was Deuteronomy before the journey. One is after the journey. They're in the promised land. Uh, this was Moses as the leader. Now Joshua is the leader, but Joshua is 110 years old, so it's been a long time. It's been two things. Did those words sound very similar, though? One was the prediction of what God was promising. Hey, this is going to happen. The other one is the fulfillment of that, and Joshua's looking back, and he says, God, you actually did this. We are now in a land, <laughs> and we're reaping crops that we did not sow, and we're living in houses that we did not build, and we've, we've got all these benefits. Uh, there's a connection over all these years between what was promised and, and then what has been delivered. And somewhere along the way, Joshua and people like him made the connection between the promise and the fulfillment. That's part of your job, guys. Part of this great responsibility of generational parenting is to take the promise. And when you've seen God fulfill the promise, to say, okay, here's how God's fulfilled this promise. This is a long time afterwards, guys. And yet we see almost the, the mirror of the same words. Why? Because one was predicting that God, what God would do, and Joshua was standing there on the other side of that fulfillment, and he says, this is what God did do. And that's why he could make that bold declaration. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It would be amazing if a 12-year-old got up here today and said, I have walked with the Lord many years, and I have found him faithful. I mean, we'd be impressed. 12-year-old guy in all sincerity, I have walked with the Lord, and I have found him faithful. But isn't it something... When a 60-year-old, a 70-year-old, an 80-year-old can stand up and say, I have walked the Lord and I have found him faithful. Doesn't mean that there was perfection. Didn't mean that you aced the test. Didn't mean that you got everything right. But that in the lack of your faithfulness and in the midst of your failures, God was always faithful. That's what your kids need to know. That's generational parenting. Not that you got everything right and that you never made mistakes. No, part of that generational parenting is to say, in the midst of my mistakes, in the midst of my wanderings, in the midst of my unfaithfulness, God remained faithful. And folks, not that you can't say that at 12 years old, but it doesn't carry a lot of weight. But it does at 60 and 70 and 80. Because by 60, 70 and 80, I got more chapters of unfaithfulness and, and waywardness and disobedience than I probably have of obedience. And yet I can stand there at 60 and 70 and 80 and say, but even in all that disobedience, every time I drop the ball, God has been faithful. For those who were raised, as we talked about last week, if you were raised in a Christian church, in a Christian home, and, and you've been a, a beneficiary of that, praise God. You know, that you grew up in a, in a place where there was some surrounding of, of this passion being breathed into your life. And you thought, man, I never had a chance. I know you can't be a Christian when you're one year old, but I feel like I was, you know, because I never had a chance. I was so surrounded by passionate parents who loved Christ that it just seemed like it was the most natural thing for me, too, to want to follow Christ with my life. But not everybody in here can say that. 
that everybody here can say, you know, man, I have a spiritual heritage that goes back generations. I have a grandma and a granddad and a great-grandma and a great-granddad that just love Jesus well. Let me encourage you this morning. It's the great thing about the grace of God. That when he places that call on your life, you're the first generation. Because one day you're going to be grandma and you're going to be granddad. And by God's faithfulness and his call upon those lives, they're going to be saying, you know, I had a grandma. I felt like I never even had a chance. <laughs> because I just had this grandma that just loved Jesus well. She was passionate. And so she didn't just give me information about Christ. She gave me the passion of Christ by the way that she lived. That's the hope and the encouragement. It is never too late to start generational parenting. And praise God if you would be the first generation that would put that stake in the sand and go, I claim this family from this point on to to be family that follows passionately Jesus Christ and to be a Jesus in Christ followers. That's why I love one of my favorite um, passages is Psalm 78. Because it talks about how the coming generations uh, can tell about the glorious deeds of what God has done. I mean, Joshua, he recites back and he says, okay, here's what was promised back here with Moses, but look how he fulfilled it now. And so he can point back and he says, look, one day your kids are going to ask, where did these stones come from and where did this come from? And, And you can tell them the story of God's faithfulness. But look what it says in Psalm 78. He says, we will not hide them from their children, Uh, What is this? The the glories of God, the majesty of God. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So that, they should be, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget his works. That's not the passing on of just mere information. This isn't the trip to the spiritual Smithsonian Institute and say, yes, that's what this is for and this is what happened in history. No, he says, no, you've lived in the midst of that history and you're passing that on. You're telling your children with every intention that they're going to tell their children and this generational parenting comes up comes about. Let's go back to Joshua 23:14. Right before his death, right before he makes this bold declaration, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As we close up this morning, look what he says. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. What do you think he means by that? He's about to die. He said, nobody, you know, no, this is the way everybody goes. Everybody's going to have a birthday. Everybody's going to have a death date. And he says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. He said that in the Old Testament without Jesus Christ. He didn't see the final fulfillment of that call. You and I live in a time after Christ. We can point back and say, okay, now not only did he do all these historical things, but now every promise that God ever made is found to be yes in Jesus Christ. 
I know sometimes we say, man, what a terrible time to be alive. What a terrible time to be parenting. Man, the culture, the world, and everything. Guys, what a wonderful time to be teaching our kids because we, we are living post-Christ. We're living in the church age. We're living in this fulfillment of every promise being found to be made yes in Jesus Christ. Are there still some things unfulfilled? Yes. We just sang a song about revelation, things that are going to happen in the future, but that guarantee of them being yes in Christ is, is promise now. It's a done deal. It's as if it has already happened. Before we close, let me give you how slippery this is, how hard it really is. Because it's one thing to say, Christ-centered, family-focused. There are so many motivations as parents, grandparents, raising your children. Let me give you four uh, of one, uh, three different ones, and then uh, the ultimate one that's an easy trap to, be, to fall into. Okay, guys? to show you kind of how slippery the slope can be. Uh, one is that we can parent with the vision, the goal, to be disaster prevention. That is just kids, I just want to grow them up to stay out of trouble. And there are times in our lives, then uh, seasons in our lives, especially in our kids' lives, where that becomes the, the, the vision for parenting. You know, we have this rebellious child just goes through a season of rebellion. And, and there are days, weeks, and months where we're going, okay, my goal right now, my vision for my, parent, for my kids and my parenting style is disaster prevention. If I can just keep him out of jail, this will be good. And, and there's times in our lives that we go through that. But is that really the vision that you want to have overall for your parenting? No. There's another stage, another season in our life where, uh, and I get this, I mean, Carly and I are kind of in that stage now where uh, your, your vision, your goal is that your kids become self-supporting. You know, you're going, okay, look, you're 42. I think you need to move out. You know, the free ride is over. I mean, I, I get that we want to we grow up kids that can function and, and do for themselves and can make their own way in life so they can go out. And, and I get that. But the self-supporting vision, if, if that's all that it is, just so that they become self-supporting, it's missing so much of this call, biblically speaking, of what God has called us to. I mean, I get it. It's practical. But it's not the biblical call. The other one is that we just want to raise a good person. Just want, we want to raise somebody, you know, who contributes to society, does much more good than bad. Folks, none of those are evil things. None of those are, you know, bad in nature. And I promise you that there are seasons in our parenting and grandparenting life that every one of us will face those days. But here's the biblical call. If we want to say, okay, we want to derive our calling of parents out of the Bible, what is this call? And it is very clear that you are to grow up your children, teach them, train them, passionately encourage them to be Christ followers. Not just to become a Christian, but to be Christ followers. And perhaps, you know, you sit there and go, man, I, I wonder if I've just failed miserably. You know, I've, I've much more just wanted that kid that stayed out of trouble, that kid that would do good, that would be self-sufficient. You know, Bobby, those are goals that I've had. They're good goals, but it's not the ultimate calling of a Christian parent. 
But here's the good news of the gospel. That even if yesterday we weren't able to do that in last week and last month, today, God is, why would he purpose for you to be here? I believe in a sovereign God. You're not here by mistake. I don't care if you're visiting for the first time, if this is where you've come the last eight years. You're not here by mistake. By the providence of God, you're here. And, and this is what he's laid on, on our hearts to study this morning. And so whether you're going to be that first generation that's going to set that pace new, or you're following a great generational you know, a family and, and you have so many people in your family tree that you can point out to that are great believers. There's hope. And that's why we as a church want to have a vision for 2016 to be family focused. What does that mean? That we would help you, stand with you, pray with you, guide you, encourage you, cry with you to be able to make that statement that Joshua did. And it's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. And it's not just a sign. It's not just a little platitude that's painted on something. But it's the passionate heartbeat of your life. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, we thank you that your word gives us truth. Father, uh, we we thank you that uh, you're ever patient. You're ever kind. Father, we thank you that you uh, do not fail, even though there are times that we turn from you and we rebel against you and we leave for a season. Father, you've never left us, not even a day. And Father, I pray for our parents. I pray for the parents that are, the grandparents are here. And Father, I pray that they, like Joshua, would be able to stand there in their elderly years and be able to say with all conviction and all truth, I have walked with the Lord and I have found him to be faithful. Father, I pray for the young parents who are here that are just starting out in this whole parenting thing. Father, what a temptation to grow up kids that stay out of trouble, successful monetarily and self-sufficient, and, and do good in the world. When we live in a world with so much evil, Father, there is such a temptation for us to take that if it was guaranteed to us that our kids would just turn out with those things in their lives. And Father, we would be happy parents and father there there would be that distinction that would be given to us that we were actually very good parents but as good as those things are father will you will you call us higher than that when you call us into a place father that that we can be inspirational and that we can start generational father just love for you and following you So, Father, I thank you that you've given us this time. Father, I thank you next week we can start to see what what biblical marriage really is all about. And that this year, Father, we can travel through your word and and see, put handles on what it means to truly live a Christ-centered life and family-focused. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for the spirit that enables us to do these things. And thank you that you, holy, holy, holy God, are mindful of man and mindful of us this morning that you would give us this instruction. We love you, Father. And now we just respond to you, Father, as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.